Every morning, my mum wakes me up so I can get to school on time. She makes me breakfast so I have lots of energy to learn and play with my friends. I work hard at school so I can be wherever I want when I grow up. And at lunchtime, I eat my sandwich fast so I can play with my friends. But did you know there are girls who don't get to have a childhood like I do? How come? That doesn't seem fair. Girls like Shinoli, who lives in a country called Nepal, near the Himalayan mountains. Her family had a really hard time, especially during COVID. She was sad a lot and didn't feel good about things. But when someone in Australia became a child sponsor for Shinoli, everything changed. Now Shinoli goes to a child and youth club in her village so she can learn, make friends and make plans. You know what? You can become a child sponsor so children like Shinoli can dream big dreams. Because Baptist World Aid has lots of child and youth clubs all over the world to help other kids who don't have very much, where poverty makes their life hard for them. But these clubs help a lot. Isn't that cool? Oh, and Shinoli loves animals, just like me but hers provide milk for the family to drink and sell so they don't have to be hungry. I hope you can become a child sponsor so children like Shinoli can know someone cares about them. I think that would help them when it's hard or if COVID comes back. I don't like COVID. If you can please become a child sponsor today, she can live like Jesus wants her to with food and hope and friends. Baptist World Aid can help you be a child sponsor. This will make everything better so she can have a better life too. Thanks, Neil. And uh, it is so good to be with you this morning. And I was just reflecting on what Neil was talking about with Queen. Um, although I never met her, I actually worked for her for 10 years straight with the organisation that I worked for. We held the silver warrant and looked after the royal family um, with jewellery repairs and all sorts of things that I was involved with. And I too was reflecting on the Queen's journey over the last um, week or so. And uh, I was up in Toowoomba preaching on Sunday and I was just thinking of people that she had met, the traumas that she would have seen throughout the uh, time of her reign, the disasters, um, and little things like just sitting down to have afternoon tea with uh, Winston Churchill. I thought, what a cool life she's lived. And uh, But look, she loved her Lord, and um, she was an incredible example to us, but all, um, um, to us all. 
But look, I just want to thank also Phil and the worship team for your worship, some beautiful songs there. Um, and I always love where I go when it comes to worship because um, God desires to be worshippers. And, uh, but we've been through a significant time in our lifetime, uh, many events, and uh, today I want to just talk to you a little bit about Baptist World Aid, what we do actually do. Um, by the way, I've gone into a bad habit. Apparently, I do do quite a lot. So if I say do do, let me know. Um, they counted it up in um, Toowoomba on the weekend. It was only three times. But look, we've been extraordinary times for the last two and a half years. And first of all, I want to just say thank you so much to this church for the amazing support that um, you have given financially. But not only that, you stood by us so much in prayer over the last and a half years when COVID has hit. And we've seen extraordinary things and before COVID actually hit, we saw the cycle of poverty actually on the decrease percentage-wise. Um, but now, sadly, um, the world has been thrown into quite a spin, actually. And a lot of the third world countries are in major crisis. And, um, and as Joan said, I think during the prayer time, um, you know, we are his hands and feet. We are the salt and light out there. And we have an incredible responsibility and opportunity to actually uh, be uh, that for Jesus out there in community. So thank you very much. But I just want to go back to one thing, if we can go to the next slide. Norm, I'm not used to a man operating behind the scenes. I think it's pretty cool, so I want to thank Norm. Um, but I was up in Mount Isa about two months ago, and we've been through a lot of grief and a lot of pain, and there's a lot of trauma out there, and sometimes it's hard for us, and our hearts can become um, sometimes hardened. And, um, and I think sometimes we just need to be reminded about the incredible universe, uh, earth that we live on, um, the incredible things that God has created. And so I just want to share with you this. Uh, the pastor took us out actually for a barbecue out in the middle of the desert. And I was reminded again with no city lights, just the incredible, spectacular universe. And Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of his hand. Now, as a young guy, I always was fascinated in this next verse as well, which is Ecclesiastes 11, which says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, have you noticed it says everything? It doesn't say he has made some things. He says he has made everything beautiful in its time. But he's also said eternity in the hearts of man, and yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I like putting that verse in now because God is continuously at work. No one can fathom what God is doing. He is in control no matter what might seem to be going on around us. Um, I have to say it's not that long ago since Mother's Day was around and um, the year's gone quick, hasn't it, with everything? But with Mother's Day, I mentioned this, um, we had a very strong emphasis around Mother's Day uh, with women and children. And here at Baptist World Aid, what we actually do focus on, probably 90% of our focus is actually on um, women and children. Now, that doesn't mean that we leave out men, because no, we don't. Very much so. Uh, we work very extensively with men in villages and projects and all sorts of things. But you see, the women and the children around the world are the most vulnerable. 
And so that's where we put a major focus. It's also estimated there's roughly 2 billion women out there um, with children and uh, young mums, and it's predominantly in third world countries that 90% of the villages are actually raised by women. It's also the women that um, quite often will be the ones that may flee with their children uh, when it comes to some um, terrible event they may encounter and they might end up in refugee camps. And it's often the women and the children that, as I said, are the most vulnerable and uh, may end up in the sex industry or the slave labour. And this is where we put a lot of our attention. But I just want to read also this... For, oh, no, before I do that, I will say this... Um, SBS used to run this caption, and the caption just simply said this. This was between 2013 and 2016. It came up uh, before the news started, and it said, there are 7.3 billion stories to be told. Now, it didn't say 2 billion or 3 or 4. It was fully inclusive, and obviously they were referencing the population of the world at the time. Now we have 8 billion people, roughly, estimated, now living on this incredible planet. And every one of them is unique. Everyone is incredibly um, made in God's image. Now I want you to think about that. If everybody is unique but we're all created in God's image, how big does that make our Heavenly Father? And he loves each and every person, that 8 billion and all those that have come before and all those that are coming in the future. But I just do want to read you right now Isaiah 43, 19 and it says this, behold I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers and in the desert. Now we just watched the video and I do apologise, there seemed to have the hiccups there and I'm not too sure why, but uh, I hope you got a bit of a gist of um, what you just saw on the video. Um, it actually showed the work of some of our partners across the world and I'll explain that in a moment, who they are and how that actually works. But uh, it showed what God was doing through very difficult times. And I often say that God is a God of the messy and some people can't quite work out what I mean but what I mean by that very simply is that where there's a lot of trauma or mess or devastation, people do become more dependent and they start to ask, they start to reach out as to why. And normally where there's great mess, you see also great change in people's hearts and a lot of people turn to the Lord. And so we very much focus on disaster areas and work with advocacy um, and just plant those seeds. And I'll talk into that in a little bit, um, in a moment. But I just want to, if we can pop up the next slide, Noel, it's, um, I just want you to understand that over the last financial year, that through the work of Baptist World Aid around the world, we have had a direct impact to over one million people. And that would be in the, um, the majority. There's a 644 figure there. Um, that's mainly people uh, directly impacted through community development projects. And the other impact comes mainly through disaster aid. And disaster aid is actually defined by, um, could be anything from a natural disaster to something such as COVID. Uh, right down to we class, obviously, war as disaster as well. 
But you see, God is constantly doing a true, sorry, a new thing through challenging times. And um, but as I mentioned at the beginning, since COVID came, it's actually turned everything into a bit of a spin. Now these figures aren't up to date here, but I've got um, just a couple of figures there from the World Health Organization, and um, they're about a year out of date. We're just waiting for new figures to come in. And we would estimate, well, currently it says there's roughly 150 million people that have been actually pushed back into extreme poverty. Now we believe those figures are double or maybe even triple that. Um, so we're waiting for those to come in. There's over three billion people around the planet that still don't actually have clean drinking water. Uh, we turn on a tap, we take things for granted, it just comes out and everything's okay. We can wash our hands, uh, but most people don't have access to sanitary items and just that general hygiene that we take so for granted. But I want to share a couple of stories today. So um, just to give you an idea about the work we do, and then I'll, I'll, I'll drill down a little bit more, but I want you to meet Judy. Now, Judy is a uh, young mum in Kenya. Now, I've had the privilege of going um, over to Africa many times on different um, mission trips with different mission organisations. And I've met many people like Judy and sponsored many children in Kenya and Uganda. Uh, such as Julie's, uh, sorry, Judy's family. But I just want to go through a little story, a little bit of testimony from Judy. Judy is a 34-year-old mum with four kids and she farms a 1.5-acre property in Kenya. She grows maize, green grams and beans for household consumption and what surplus she has, she puts it up for sale. She's also been taught how to practice poultry and goats for extra income. Before Judy entered into the Baptist World Aid Project, she struggled to feed her children, often going without food and water, quite often for many days. Now Judy says this, my life and that of my family were in great despair. I could always cry alone, praying to God and asking him to help my family. I can now thank God for he has answered my prayers. And that answer came through the wonderful work of our Christian partners in Kenya, who because of our community-based approach there and our coinciding development programs, organised community agriculture training workshops to assist Judy in her development. She said she realised she could never harvest enough crops for both household consumption and have a surplus for sale. She was taught soil management to boost fertility on the farm and established terraces to conserve soil and water. These programs also provided through their kids clubs associated with the local evangelical churches, education and leadership and Christian programs and discipleship through Baptist World Aid sponsorship. It also gave her financial support through the villages and micro-banking systems to purchase her solar lighting so that her children could study at night. I think that's beautiful because I remember when I spent a lot of time in Africa, um, if you managed to get something like solar lighting so that your children could actually study, that was a very rare sight. And with technology and with education and funding, we can help these families so their children can actually improve what they do with study. Judy is not only thankful to God, but she's also um, very thankful for the generosity of the Australian people showing compassion 
and for their prayers. I just want to say one thing about prayer. One thing about Baptist World Aid, yes, we do need finance, but the thing is we, we actually say the one thing we want you to do most of all is pray, and I know this is a praying church, because we know when prayer um, is on a regular basis, continual prayer, God does everything else. So keep praying for us. But I just wanted to share who we are. Um, and then another one or two quick little stories. Um, but Baptist World Aid, you may not be aware, is the largest Baptist aid organisation in the world. It was birthed out of Sydney some 63 years ago. Yes, with child sponsorship program is how we started, but God's been amazing how he's just opened up so many incredible doors for us. Because we are the largest in, in some respects, that's exciting, but at the same time, it's a bit sad that um, you, know, you would think there would be larger Baptist aid organisations in the world, but it gives us the leverage to work with other unions and other countries to actually resource them, to actually lead them and to actually empower them to have a similar model. Because of the size of Baptist World Aid too, it gives us direct links and opportunities with our local Australian government. And we're incredibly thankful for the blessing that they have been uh, to us over so many years. And uh, we've just been going through our process again for accreditation with the Australian government. And we just got voted last week, I found out, as the aid organisation with country, um, sorry, with community development projects in various countries and child sponsorship as the number one for best practices here in Australia. And that's something we're proud of because, thank you. Um, it's something that we're very proud of as a Christian organisation because um, we do want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the salt and light. And it's so important uh, for us to get the funding where we're going to get to get there. Um, the other thing is you might have heard of matching grants, and I won't do this in any necessary order, um, but um, um, matching grants is something we do in June where the government actually submit programs to and then they give us a, uh, a very sizable amount of funding to go ahead and we call that matching grant and it's a ratio sort of scenario and it changes from year to year depending on what the government can give but um, if you give at matching grant time that giving normally is multiplied by five to ten times and um, but they work it a bit back uh, backwards they say we will give you five million dollars if you can raise one million dollars or it might be 10 million if you can raise a, a particular figure so that changes from year to year and that's a great thing that uh, they do for us but um, when it comes to disaster and if it comes to say for instance the Ukraine appeal um, and I want to thank this church specifically um, this church at Bridgman Downs jumped into um, this space for us when we started the Ukraine appeal um, and gave very generously and I know you prayed for us as well and, and for the people of Ukraine. Now, um, it's only 20-something weeks ago I saw on the news that the war actually began and it is continuing and it will continue sadly for some time and there's been a lot of loss of life. But I just wanted to share uh, with your funding where some of that actually went. Um, but first of all, just to explain Ukraine, uh, you may not be aware but the Ukraine has the second largest number of Baptist churches in the world. 
Now that threw me when I first um, read the information. In Australia, there's roughly a thousand Baptist churches. Over in the Ukraine, it's estimated about 2,200. It also has the largest seminaries and theological colleges in the world. Now, I thought it would have been Russian Orthodox and, and, and so on. Um, now, this has given us incredible leverage to actually help the church in the Ukraine. So 60% of the funding that came through uh, your support and also um, from the Australian people in general, 60% has been able to funnel straight into the Ukraine Baptist Union and to work directly with the pastors in what locations that we could see fit and safe to actually provide support, PPE equipment and whatever those pastors needed. The other 40% has actually been going on to the borders, in particular in Poland. And as I mentioned earlier on, it's really quite tragic, but um, often the, the bad people with bad intent are on the borders before the refugees get there. And we set up programs to intervene, get in between, provide um, shelter uh, to protect the women and children. And it's not just PP, it's food, it's whatever we need to do, uh, including medical supplies. Now, the thing is, you may not be um, aware, we've just had our CEO who was up on that first video. She's just been working directly with the Ukraine um, uh, Theological or Union uh, President and the reports have come out that there are already over 400 uh, Baptist churches that have been destroyed. Now, of course, we don't know what casualties, but I would imagine there may be some casualties with that. So we would just ask you just to keep praying for our brothers and sisters there. Um, God is doing a big thing there as well. And uh, we just need to keep upholding them. But I'd like to just mention a few other things we do. Um, we do do. Um, and that... And that would be like advocacy work. As I said, we work on the borders, Afghanistan, Lebanon, places like that. Be in prayer for us with Myanmar because that's a tricky one for us. Um, trying to get aid in there and work with the churches is very difficult. And the church there is under incredible persecution at the moment as well. But I would like to just also mention advocacy work here. And I just love this church's missional heart. Uh, you're in the community, for the community, to bring the love of Jesus. Um, and what we do to do as well is we, we, we support ch uh, sorry, churches with training and resources when it comes to advocating for your local areas, uh, working directly with your politicians, uh, writing letters when there's a big cause, and it's the power of many uh, voices that actually can make change. And so that's something that you may uh, be interested in as well. Um, community development and child sponsorship, I'll talk in my second last story. Um, but I'd like to just share with you Micah 6 out um, 8 now and, and put a little bit of theology around what we actually do. Um, I was a pastor for a long time at River Life Church um, down there at 17 Mile Rocks. And just before I left there three years ago, a dear friend of mine died and his wife um, died tragically too young. And um, But he... His, his verse for life was Micah 6, 8, and I always knew that, um, but I didn't know it. And his wife came up to me and said to me, John, can you please preach at the funeral on Micah 6, 8? Now, as I said, I knew the verse, but I didn't know the verse properly. 
And, um, and little did I know that when I'd step in the Baptist world, it is one of the things that, or verses amongst many others, that underpin the vision and the mission of what we do. And it simply says this, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord, uh, sorry, it starts off, I should say, I missed the first bit. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Okay, to love, sorry, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So there's three very simple steps, and we'll just explore these a little bit. And, and when I did it, um, it was actually quite profound in some ways. I mean, to walk humbly with your God is the basis for loving mercy and doing justice. And it's because of what God has done that we fully invest in healing the world around us through mercy and justice. Now, this is quite obvious, but it's a great reminder. When we cultivate our walk with God, it actually provides us the power, it provides us the passion for us to fully engage in everything that God has for us. It actually grounds us with everything that we do. Secondly, God loves us to love mercy. He desires us to love it. Or in some translations, uh, instead of mercy, the word kindness is there. Sometimes this is hard for us to do. And sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, we can have compassion fatigue. This is not easy to do when sometimes we're bombarded with the media and even Australia, Brisbane, we're faced with our own situations, you know, with inflation and cost of living and all sorts of things. Sometimes we watch the news and it can be very easy for our hearts to become hardened. It can become very easy for our minds to judge. But doing justice, what is that? Some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, what does that look like? What do I do? You know, what does that mean? But to do justice, if you look it up in the dictionary, the very simple definition is just simply doing this, doing right by your fellow man. And at Baptist World Aid, our definition of justice is to create a better world for all, where all people have equal opportunity to fully invest in the gifts that God has placed within them. Right, to fully develop their gifts. And that's a big part of our work where we, we want to bring out leadership. We want to give them hope. We want, to, we want to give them the skills to empower them, to move them in the right direction, to give them hope. Doing justice is also developmental, meaning that we don't just simply give things away to meet a need, but we actually help people help themselves. Now, that's a very important process. Now, don't get me wrong, it's very good to give things, right? And we all do that, and we encourage that, and we should be continuing to do that. But we also need to develop them to help themselves. So using the well-known fishing metaphor, we do not just give people fish, but we teach them how to fish. In our daily lives, we all have the opportunity to do justice with actions that help people help themselves. And when I say we teach them how to fish, we also teach them very much how to take ownership of the rivers where those fish come from, a very important part of the process. How can you get involved? Uh, I actually know, that's a different slide up there. 
What I might do is just go through this story very quickly. I just want to talk to you about Miriam, just to give you an idea on how child sponsorship and community development works with Baptist World Aid. Um, I met Miriam two and a half years ago in Cambodia, just before um, lockdown with COVID. Miriam um, in Cambodia has got three young children and her village actually is part of a community development project where all the children are sponsored, including her three. If we can just go to the next one, Noel, that'd be great. Um, the children are automatically placed in what we call kids clubs. Now, we don't send people over from Australia to work in these projects at all. We work with local evangelical churches and we also work with Christian partners on the ground. And we do that to empower uh, and to avoid any contextualisation issues, but mainly to work and empower the Indigenous people to equip them, um, to uh, bring the leadership skills and to give them hope in their villages as well. The children, of course, are presented with the gospel, but we take it to another level when it comes to their education. It's obviously at a higher standard that we can give. But we're very determined to make sure that these children also have leadership skills given to them because we see them as the next generation that will lead that village. We also then, part of the sponsorship program, we actually feed into the family life as well. These kids are taught microfinancing, banking, how to run a small business as well. But we do the same with the mums in particular. Dads, if we can, many of the dads leave these communities looking for work. So there's a very heavy emphasis on the mothers again. And um, if we go to the next slide, I just want to tell you about Miriam. So Miriam, um, and I love this, even though some of the pictures might be a bit distorted, but um, Miriam wanted to show me what she had done through the help of Baptist World Aid and her, child, uh, and her children being sponsored. She started off, if you look up the very top left-hand corner, wanting to stand outside her house. Now, for dignity reasons, I didn't want to take a big picture or anything like that, but she wanted me to take that one. And I would say to you right now that her, um, her house was probably not to the quality standard of um, the house I, uh, or the cubby house that I built, built my kids at Brookfield 20-something years ago. And her whole family lived and dwelled in this tiny little space. She then wanted to take me to this little veggie patch and go through the process, what she was taught when it came to um, farming her small part of land in a better way for a better return. From that better return, she could actually make more money down at the marketplace where she was taught actually how to expand her business. From that, she was taught how to bank and start to save extra money. From that, she actually went on to a chicken program that we had and where she could buy extra chickens. And obviously, chickens, pigs, goats, things like that in third world countries, they multiply quickly and they can produce a better outcome. From that, she bought pigs. Now, I don't know if you know, your average pig will give anywhere between 10 to 20 piglets, sometimes more, and it's a great source of income if you have enough money to actually start that process, which, uh, which Miriam thankfully did. But it ends with this. Miriam wanted to stand outside this little stockyard. Now, behind her are actually 10 cows. Now, they are, now that's not the number that she actually ended up with. In Cambodia, if you have one cow, 
you are doing very, very, very well. You're considered to be up there. If you have two, you're very wealthy. But if you end up with 15, oh my goodness. Now this was an example of most of the families in Miriam's village. Now they were at the end of a nine-year cycle, so all of these villages, we do each project with child sponsorship nine years because we believe that's the time that it actually takes to fully develop the process and program and give them the confidence. And so here Miriam is standing at the end of a project with 10 cows. Five of the cows that you can't see there were sold at market and with that she bought enough material to build that beautiful jacaranda, lavender colour, purple house that she's standing proudly in. That's her new home. And I use this as an example as the development project um, because um, it has incredible impact on communities. And the other thing is that a lot of the kids, when will they get to the end of the project, the nine years, when they graduate, they actually don't um, normally go off for further education. Many of them stay to become leaders. And the thing is what I also found is a lot of them want to become the leaders in the village next door and start the process again. And one of the significant things I saw that when you get onto a community development project is that you can see the differences between villages. Um, they don't smell, the villages don't smell as much. There's no rubbish. People are actually holding their head high, their smiles on their faces, and you can see this incredible change. And, um, and we work so close with the local churches that we bring the gospel in that process. A lot of people say, well, do they all become Christians? And do you put a Bible in every hand? And we say, well, actually, no, it's no different than here. But we show them the love of Jesus. We walk the relationship through and show what it means like to be a Christian. And so many of them do come to know the Lord. Um, I'm just thinking of time, I'm running out, but I think we might, Noel, if you just skip the last few slides. Um, I've got a table outside. If you're ever interested in um, sponsoring a child, uh, I think it's one of the best journeys that you can take your family through. Now, I'm looking at a sea of people that uh, probably would have lots of grandchildren. Um, I, too, am a grandfather. Uh, I don't look old enough to be a grandfather, do I? Um, but I am, and uh, I've got two beautiful girls, um, both one and three. And I started sponsoring children 37 years ago, and I took all my children through that process. You get to write to them, you get to see another culture, you get to hear back from them, and it can be a life-changing thing. And I met my children 16 years ago in uh, Uganda, in Kenya, and it was a life changing moment for me to see how humble they were, their gratitude, their thankfulness to the sponsors in Australia. And yet it was so beautiful to see they had nothing but they had the love of Jesus. And uh, I'll never forget that. And as a grandparent, um, you guys uh, in particular are probably, you've got an awesome um, opportunity to sow into your grandkids and so I always say it's worthwhile even sponsoring a child for your grandkids and take them on their journey. It's only $48 a month but I have a table at the front there where we can talk or you can ask me many questions. There's another great program we have called Better, uh, Better World Ambassadors that we've just started as well um, but I just want to end up with one story. Um, I didn't say too much at the beginning, but I've got a great mission background. Um, my father was um, born in China, 
grandparents were Chinese missionaries with the China Inland Mission. And, um, and I use this story often to end off just to encourage you because sometimes we can be inundated with all sorts of things and sometimes we might think that we're not um, having an impact on the kingdom of God or the little things we're doing. We might just think they're little things and they're insignificant and they don't mean something. But in God's economy, and it's like that Isaiah verse, um, he's constantly doing a new thing. He's constantly at work and he's constantly using his people to do that. So um, if we can just pop up that Bible verse, the last one, I just want to read this. um, But before I do, um, I remember my grandfather uh, when I was just a a wee lad. um, I remember he used to tell us all these stories about his missionary trips, trips in China. But I also remember him weeping one day and crying and saying that his work was never finished, it was never completed. You see, my grandparents, um, one came from Birmingham, one came from San Francisco, came out by steamship, joined the China Inland Mission after a call through the Bible College uh, that they were involved in to actually join the China Inland Mission School in Shanghai. And it was when China actually opened up the door for 200 missionaries, there was 2,000 applicants around the world, and my grandma and grandpa were two of the 200 that were successful. Um, Of course, they didn't know each other. It's a bit of a love story. They fell in love in Shanghai, blah, 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 and got married in Kunming. Um, But then they followed uh, the journey out to inland China, sort of into this province in Yunnan, this little town called Dali. Now, Dali is like 600 miles away from Kunming, very mountainous, dangerous area, and they could only walk in by foot and donkey. Raging rivers, it's one of those parts of China where there's mountainous uh, uh, snow-capped mountains, pretty spectacular country. And there, for 10 years, they managed this little Bible school, a Bible college, um, and a large church in Dali. And the Lisu people, there was about 53 uh, different minority groups would come down from the mountains to hear the gospel, and, uh, and that's what they did. It was incredible work. But then they were chased out 10 years later. And it wasn't just the Red Army, it was also the Japanese. And uh, Grandma and Grandpa had some very close friends. Um, Isabel Kuhn, you might have heard of, a fairly famous missionary um, that came out with my grandma. Uh, But there was another couple that were actually killed by the Japanese. And so they had to flee, they came back here to Australia. Uh, But my grandfather thought his work was never done, it was never completed, and it actually broke his heart. And I don't know if you've heard of the Moravian movement, uh, wonderful Christian mission movement. Um, They're famous for things like 100-year-long prayer meeting and things like that. But the Moravian movement, uh, those that were missionaries with the Moravians would pack their coffin with all of their earthly possessions, put it on top of a steamship or a cob and co, and they would disappear uh, to the country that God had called because they believed it was a one-way trip. And that's exactly what my grandparents thought. Um, So they thought their work was not done. Uh, I won't go into the details of the story, but it was a miracle how it all happened with my last church and the mission pastor. And I wasn't even a pastor there yet. I was in the business world. He invited me over and he starts, he wanted to know about my trips in Africa and uh, what my favourite place was. And I told him, and I said, what about you, Tong? And uh, he told me it was this little tiny town in China, 
um, sort of up in the um, south, uh, sorry, the, uh, um, the southwest or wherever it was. And he started giving this description. And the more he talked to me, the more I suddenly realised it could have been where my father was born. And I mentioned it to him, and he didn't believe me at first, but my, because he said hardly any white men go there, and he was a bit perplexed, and he said that he still went into this town every year working in this Bible school that the old missionaries had set up. Anyway, a short Reader's Digest version, it happened to be the same place, and I got the opportunity to actually go over there uh, about eight years ago, which I thought would never, ever happen. I've done multiple trips since and go to this Bible school that is still operating 90-something years later. And thank you. Uh, But before I do the ending, I just want to read this out to you. It says here in John's Gospel, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. And I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Now, I, I use this piece of scripture when it comes to mission. Um, I see mission as a multi faceted diamond there's many facets it's come out of the rough it's been then refined and um, cut beautifully by a diamond cutter and what happened is that I went back into this town my first trip the Chinese pastor beautiful man actually got to know him very well very godly guy and uh, he was very suspicious of me at first and if you look like me I guess you would be suspicious too but they don't normally have many many white pastors coming in and um, anyway I sat there and I started sharing the story of the sacrifice that my grandparents had made and I had all these old images photographs etc of their journeys and uh, some of these journeys were all on foot and raging rivers and crazy. And I was talking about the sacrifice that missionaries used to make. And um, I then told him about the sadness my grandfather had that he did not complete the work that he believed God had set out for him and grandma to do. And um, I suddenly realised this beautiful Chinese pastor, there were tears pouring down his face. And it was through the interpreter that he turned around and he said... It is because of your grandparents that there are now millions and millions and millions and millions of Chinese that love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at that moment, I did not know what to do with that. Um, I was a little bit stunned on just what he was trying to tell me. And the work was still continuing while I was there in that Bible school. And the thing is, I guess the story is, is that my grandfather never ever saw the result, but he planted seeds, he turned the soil. My grandmother preached the gospel and did nursing over there and was the hands and feet. And I use that with the work we do at Baptist World Aid. It's, 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 we just get into places where quite often other aid organisations can't. We work with the local people to empower them, to bring the church that's in the local area into the programs. Um, it's building relationships. It's the same as what we do here. We work with our neighbours you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, but to love your neighbour as yourself. 
So I just want to encourage you that it doesn't matter how small or insignificant it may be, just continue. Um, we look at our local community first because this is where God has placed us. But he's given us this incredible world uh, where we can sow into so many different wonderful things. So look, I want to say thank you very much. Uh, I think we might have gone a little bit over time. Sorry, Neil. Um, but please come and talk to me and I'll hand over again to um, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Let's stand together this morning. I, I've actually I heard some things, a lot of things today that I didn't know, even though uh, our, 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 we know John's brother is, is our son-in-law. So uh, uh, we, uh, we know him well. And I haven't met, met Ernest Mansfield, the, uh, uh, John's grandfather, and what a, what a beautiful man he was. I met, met him at the very end of his life, and I didn't know that story. Well, the song we have this morning gives us an opportunity to respond uh, in our own hearts uh, to the love and the sacrifice which uh, we've been hearing about today and we can be part of all God is doing to help in this world. Let's stand together.
May the peace of the Lord be with you and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all of you who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.